sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. A football Friday. Live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 159. That's the home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the SportsGrid Network, I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Football Friday. And for the second consecutive week, a Football Friday in many different capacities. The NFL Week number 14 started last night in Los Angeles And it was a Hollywood ending for the L.A. Rams. We'll recap that Thursday night football game between L.A. and Las Vegas in just a moment. We'll set the stage for the rest of your Sunday slate. The biggest storylines here with only five weeks remaining in this NFL regular season. Also a football Friday because, yes, there's only one college football game. But it's part of the history and the storied tradition of the entirety of the sport. The 123rd playing of the Army-Navy game. And the Heisman Trophy Ceremony here in New York City tomorrow evening as well. And football in another way. The quarterfinals at the 2022 World Cup start in just about an hour. The pre-tournament favorites, the current favorites entering the round of eight. Brazil in action against Croatia to start us off in the first of four matches in the quarterfinals. All of that here again on this Football Friday in many different avenues, live on the morning after on SportsGrid. We bring you until 11 a.m. Eastern time over the course of these next two hours. 98 yards, about a minute and a half left, and no timeouts. That's what Baker Mayfield, yes, Baker Mayfield, in his first game in an L.A. Rams uniform, about 48 hours after being picked up off waiver wires from the Carolina Panthers, who cut Baker earlier this week, had in front of him as he tried to lead the Rams back for a dramatic come-from-behind victory over the Las Vegas Raiders. And that's exactly what Baker Mayfield did. Again, a Hollywood ending last night where the stars shine in Los Angeles. The Rams come back from down 13 points in the fourth quarter to win 17-16 over Las Vegas. Outright as a six-and-a-half-point underdog. The total came scorching down before kick. It stays under. 41 and a half but this will be the game remembered as Baker Mayfield's debut in a big way for Los Angeles think about that about a day and a half after he was signed off the waiver wire Baker Mayfield does not start it was John Wolford but Baker Mayfield comes in on the second offensive possession for the Los Angeles Rams in about 36 hours after meeting his new teammates he has the timing down he knows the offense enough to lead a come from behind down 13 points in the fourth and final quarter with a 98-yard game winning drive. There were no props out for Baker Mayfield before the game because we weren't sure if he was going to play. He was active, but what exactly would he be able to do production-wise? Well, that's a heck of a debut in a Los Angeles uniform. 22 of 35, 230 yards in that game-winning touchdown to Van Jefferson in the closing seconds last night against Las Vegas. 17-16 to again, the final score. The Rams win outright as a six-and-a-half-point favorite, snapping a six-game losing skid. Baker Mayfield is the story. It will be an accomplishment for the entirety of his football career, dating back to his days at Oklahoma as a Heisman Trophy winner. But the other side of that equation is a completely disheartening effort from the Las Vegas Raiders that virtually ends their season. 
eliminates them from playoff contention. Not mathematically, but a huge knock against Las Vegas last night. And we'll show you what it means for the Raiders moving forward here in just a moment. But first, we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience. The opening hour of a football Friday live on the morning after. Sirius XM, Channel 159. All of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. So the total came scorching down last night for Thursday night football in L.A. between the Rams and the Raiders. For most of the week, for most of yesterday afternoon, it was 43 and a half. It closes at 41 in a hook. And you'll see that first half number there as well. 20 and a half. The reason we highlight the first half is because the first half total stayed under. The Raiders had a 10-point lead at the halftime break. 13 to 3. This is the fourth time now this year the Raiders have coughed up a double-digit lead at the half. That is the most in the history of the National Football League, getting back to at least 1930. So again, a disappointing effort from Las Vegas when they were riding a three-game win streak entering and needed to keep stacking up wins if they had any hope of making the postseason for a second consecutive year. And that's where they were. That was the trajectory entering last night. But you'll see the offensive numbers for Las Vegas. Not a good night. Derek Carr, only 137 yards, only attempted 20 passes. He completed 11 of them, only three to Devontae Adams, who was a big play threat last night. He totaled 71 yards, but under his receiving yards prop, that got all the way up to 90 and a hook before the game kicked off. Josh Jacobs continues to be the NFL's leading rusher. 27 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. But we mentioned Las Vegas entered last night on a three-game win streak. Ground to make up in the AFC playoff picture for sure, but they were trending in that positive way. Their make playoff odds down to plus 680, still a long shot, but you can see where they stand right now, 15-1. to 1. Again, the story is going to be Baker Mayfield in that 98-yard game-winning drive, under two minutes remaining, and not a single timeout, but he was helped by Las Vegas. The interesting man coverage, the Raiders played on that final series, a pass interference call after a ball thrown by May Baker Mayfield was intercepted and a disgusting unsportsmanlike conduct uh, penalty on Jerry Tillery that helped the Rams yet again after Baker Mayfield was sacked. But he is the story, one of the many stories. Week 14 of this NFL season, Mike Blewett is here to break it all down next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Week 14 of the NFL season kicks off in a big way last night inside SoFi Stadium. The reigning Super Bowl champs, the Los Angeles Rams, finally snap a six-game win streak with Baker Mayfield as the quarterback after being signed off of waivers about 48 hours prior to his first game in a Rams uniform. Welcome back to a Football Friday, live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 159. Again, if is it if it is a Football Friday, in many different capacities, you know at least for the NFL component of it, Mike Blewett will be here as well. One of the co-hosts of Pro Football Today, each and every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time, live right here on the grid. Blewett, you had a stat for us about Baker Mayfield and his heroics last night. The storybook comeback, a Hollywood ending indeed 
for the Rams in their come-from-behind victory over the Raiders. Because, of course, Baker with his new teammates for about a day and a half, it wasn't pretty early on, but at the end when it mattered most, that's when Baker started to pick it up. Yeah, so Baker completed 16 of his last 17 passes on those two fateful drives. Obviously, once they got to the two-minute offense, it simplified it for him and for the team. Everything that Al and Herbie were talking about and what you and I and others on this network said before the game is that this is going to be really difficult if he comes in here. He's got no time to practice with the offense and learn the playbook or anything. When it comes to the two-minute offense, it's obviously pared down quite a bit. And that was highly effective. 16 of 17. Yeah. We can talk about the benefit of the penalties, and there were obviously massive penalties. But the reality yeah. is they did have a 98-yard drive to close it out. And the Raiders have nobody to blame but themselves, whether it's their penalties or bad calls or, frankly, not putting the ball in the end zone themselves. It's really on yeah. the Raiders. The the killer interception at the end of the first half, which Carr got bumped, but you have to eat that throw. You can't just loft it into the end zone and hope something happens. Sure. That's at least three points, which probably wins them the game. But 16 of 17 in the two-minute offense for Baker. Prior to that, he was 6 of 18. And I, I was saying to you before the game, I thought the coverage of the game by Allen Herbie was deferential to Baker, and I understood the Herculean task that it was taking him, but it was not going well. He was 6 of 18 for no yardage, yeah. and they had three points halfway through the fourth quarter. It was abysmal, and then they just came alive in the two-minute offense. I think the Raiders are going to be kicking themselves. I thought they were going to be a 6-7 and seven team, and the narrative that we were be going to be talking about today is look at what McDaniels has been able to do to turn around this team, and now it's all gone. It's all for naught. For about three and a half quarters, that was going to be the story. The fourth time this year, the Raiders have had a double-digit lead at the halftime break and squandered that football game. This is going to be the most disappointing of all of those efforts and something the Raiders will look back on for the rest of this 2022 season and into the offseason for sure. Baker Mayfield's former, former team, Mike Blewett, in action this Sunday, of course, on the road in an AFC North rivalry showdown against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals have yeah. won four straight games. The Bengals have covered in nine of their last 10, and yet the line is working slightly to the side of the Browns here. Blew it, a five-and-a-half-point spread in favor of Cincy, though, at home on Sunday. Do you believe, Mike Blewett, this will be a competitive football game and Cleveland can keep it within margin? I do think Cincinnati is the superior team. I don't care if Watson plays a good game. I still think Cincinnati can win this one but I think the reason you're seeing that work back towards the Browns Ben is we're in December it's a divisional game we're not really in the business most likely most weeks of laying a bunch of points in divisional games we saw last week some divisional games get pretty funky we saw a tie in one divisional game and we saw other teams cover in spots where we didn't think they'd be as competitive so I, I understand why the spread is getting a little bit tighter. I'm more likely, and you know I, I, I like to do this, and I'll, I'll be doing this in the next segment when we do the triple option, is I would probably split yep. it down by the half. I feel a little bit better about the Bengals potentially in the first half here getting out to a little bit of a lead before the Browns try to uh, take some wind out of their sails and, and run the ball effectively with Chubb. I do expect a competitive game here, but yep. – what we saw last week from Watson was a lot of rust. So 
expectations for him moving forward are that he will improve, but it's too difficult to say how rapidly that will occur because I think they're going up against a tough opponent this week. I've been a believer in the Bengals all year, so I don't want to think I don't want anybody to think I'm jumping on the bandwagon now. But I do think they have a chance, even with a very difficult schedule, they still have a chance to win this division. And I think they'll be a tough team to play. Joe Burrow's shown that they're very tough to play in January and February. Deshaun Watson in his first game back under center nearly two years, 12 of 22, 131 yards and an interception. Focusing on the AFC North over Mike Blewett's right shoulder, the Pittsburgh Steelers terrible towel at home this weekend, Mike Blewett. The Steelers, a slight favorite of one and a half points, but still a favorite over the Baltimore Ravens because, as John Harbaugh said, Lamar Jackson is, quote, less likely to play on Sunday afternoon against the Steelers, which means if Lamar can't go, it will be Tyler Huntley getting the start for the Baltimore Ravens. How do you evaluate Baltimore, Mike Blewett, with Tyler Huntley under center in a divisional matchup on the road in Pittsburgh? I think they're in a better situation with Huntley coming in to start than coming in in the middle of a game against a very tough defense. Now, the Steelers' defense has not been one of their historically good or great defenses this year, but they do have some guys back that they didn't have earlier in the season. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick are obviously in the fold, and I think they're going to make it tough on Huntley. I'd expect a little bit of a low – not a little bit of one. I I would expect a low-scoring game here. Obviously, the total is – reflective of that but I think Huntley is at an advantage being able to prep for a whole week as opposed to coming in uh, against a really tough Denver defense which is allowed the least points in the league they get the win late and a a big boost for Baltimore but I I just think he's in a better position now against the Steelers defense that uh, will get some pressure on him but I think they'll be able to scheme him out of a little bit of that pressure so two divisional matchups in the AFC North right now both Baltimore and Cincinnati have an eight and four record the Ravens a slight tiebreaker so they sit in first but the market is tightening between those two the Ravens now just a minus 125 favorite since he only about 35 cents behind plus 110 divisional matchups as well in the AFC East Mike Blewett the Buffalo Bills a 10 point favorite now double digits at home in Western New York <clears throat> against the New York Jets. Of course, just over a month ago in MetLife, it was the Jets winning outright as a 10-and-a-half-point home underdog. As we flip it to this game, Mike Blewett, if the Buffalo Bills are going to cover as a double-digit favorite, how do they get that done? Divisional games and double-digit point spreads are not your friend. I think this one, like I was talking about with the Bengals and Browns, I think I absolutely would split this one up by the half. Mm. I think a Bills first half is what you'd be looking at here. The the Jets have shown a propensity to be able to come back in games and play far better in the second half. So I think that's how I would do it. I'm not be laying 10 points here. I think it's a tough spot for the Jets. They've shown themselves to be competitive, even more competitive with Mike White under center. So I'm on the Bills first half, which is currently at minus five and a half. The Buffalo Bills have jumped in front of the Kansas City Chiefs once again entering week 14 as the AFC title favorites and in the Super Bowl market as well. We'll get to the Kansas City Chiefs game against the Denver Broncos where KC is a nine and a half point favorite in the triple option because I think Mike Blewett will focus on that game. For Super Bowl 57, Blue, 
It's the Buffalo Bills, plus 370 as the favorites again, nearly a dollar in front of KC at plus 460. We'll also talk about that team with the fifth best price, the San Francisco 49ers at 10 to 1 coming up as we get into our triple options on the other side of this break. It's a football Friday, live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. Mike Blewett is back for a second consecutive segment to go through some of his favorite plays for the weekend. By the way, the PFT crew has gone seven for seven in their last seven weeks straight in best bets. You won't want to miss what Mike Blewett has to say. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back right here on a football Friday, live on the morning after on SportsGrid. Mike Blewett joins us for a second straight segment. And Blewett, right before we hit the break, we were looking at the updated odds entering week 14 for Super Bowl 57. The Bills are the favorites. The Chiefs have the second best price. Philly has the best number for three straight teams out of the NFC. The team with the fifth best price is certainly going to be one that we follow entering this weekend and the entirety of the home stretch of this National Football League regular season. The San Francisco 49ers, 10 to 1. Of course, Jimmy Garoppolo out for most of the remainder of this year. There is a hope that maybe Jimmy G returns if San Francisco makes a deep postseason run, but blew it if they're there. That means Brock Purdy, the starter now for San Francisco, the rookie out of Iowa State, has done a pretty good job. As we look at this game this week in Santa Clara, the Niners, a three and a half point favorite against Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady is an underdog to Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy with the hook, Captain Hook, for those Pirates and the Buccaneers. So, Blewett, as you look at this three-and-a-half-point spread in favor of, of SF, who do you think it says more about? The Buccaneers and where they are entering Week 14 or where the Niners stand with Brock Purdy under center? It clearly says a lot more about the Bucs and how the Bucs are being viewed. You know, they... I mean, their win against the Saints was a carbon copy of what happened last night. Just two late touchdowns to shore the game up. No business really winning it, but they escape with a W. I think a game like this is something that Brady is probably uh, Brady may not dabble in sports betting, but I guarantee somebody has mentioned this to him, and he's got it. He's got putting an extra chip on his shoulder that he's underdog to Brock Purdy. This Niners defense is amongst, I think, the best in the league. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I know there's next-gen stats that say Denver is, and Denver's got this historically great defense, but I think that's a function a lot of times of game flow as well. The Niners are the scariest defense in the league, and I think they can really limit Tampa. But does Tampa alternately, are they able to confuse Purdy uh, to a certain extent? This isn't Brady versus Purdy, which is what a lot of people will make it out to be. This is whether or not Brady can be at all effective against this Niners defense. He has not shown that against the better defenses. They were flat out bad against the Saints. They just were, and yep. they escaped with the win. But they were terrible for three quarters. Um, that being said, I, I, I think Shanahan is going to have some success with Purdy, but this would be a big moment for him. And can... 
can he survive the gravity of the moment against playing against Tom Brady? I think that's real. And the Bucks defense isn't one that he's going to run over. Uh, I think this is a highly competitive game. I would be taking the three and a half here. And I, I can see that the Niners are, are the better team. Uh, we'll see what it means for their long-term hopes, though. I think I think they can have success with Brock Purdy, but I think it eliminates them from going to the Super Bowl. It's a very interesting point. I have made that point as well, Blue. that here in the immediate future for San Francisco, I think they can win football games. This is going to be close yeah. and competitive. I think the Niners win on Sunday at home inside Levi Stadium. But once we get to that bigger point where San Francisco's goals are of getting back to a second consecutive NFC title and getting back to a Super Bowl for the second time in the past four seasons. That's where the experience drop-off between Jimmy Garoppolo and even if you are a detractor of his on-field performance, that experience he has at the highest levels of the sport to where Brock Purdy will be, that's where I think the biggest nag in the system is for San Francisco. Two of the top five scoring defense is in the league. As Blewett mentioned, the Niners, the best scoring defense, allowing less than 16 points per game. That total is 37 and a half. Blewett, I wanted to look at a Buccaneers team total under for my triple option, but I went a different way. It only feels fitting, Mike Blewett, that on this football weekend, with the 123rd playing of the Army-Navy game in Philadelphia tomorrow, we run our triple option. Our favorite side, total, and prop for the Week 14 Sunday slate in the National Football League. Blewett, I mentioned it for you last segment, KC and Denver in the Mile High City. That is where you are looking for your favorite side of the weekend. How are you attacking that game between the Chiefs and the Broncos? Before we get into the triple option, I would like to say I have exercised my patriotic duty in betting the under tomorrow in the Army-Navy game. So God bless America. That's a good and man. Let's go. That's a good let's, man. Uh, let's see a lot of points and perhaps some missed field goals and turnovers to get us under uh, 32 and a half. Yeah. So uh, I am going to go with the Chiefs first half. Uh, they are the second, uh, sorry, Chiefs second half. Chiefs minus five in the second half. They are the highest scoring, second highest scoring second half team, uh, 14.7 points per game. Only Dallas is better than right now at 15 points per game. And Denver is the second worst scoring second half team. Shout out to the Titans who surpassed them this past week. Uh, 5.3 points per game. Only the Titans are worse in the second half. So, We've seen this play out a lot with the Chiefs. We expect Mahomes and the offense to get going and just start putting up touchdowns. They are not really a team that plays that way, Ben. You are a Chiefs fan. You've watched them uh, as much as I have, obviously, and their first halves are often a little sluggish. Doesn't mean that this one has to be, but they very often are winning games by being better, a lot better than teams in the second half, and I think that's what you'll see here. Denver has shown no ability to be able to score points in the second halves of games. So that's it. I'm laying the minus five in the second yeah. half. Listen, KC was shut out in the fourth quarter against the Bengals. It was a big way. The Bengals came back to win that football game, their third straight against KC last weekend. But the Chiefs did score 14 points in that third quarter. So the second best, yeah. second half scoring team, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, go ahead, Blue. And then I would say Lou Anaramo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, is one of the best halftime adjustment defensive coordinators, if not the best in the entire league. So the fact yep. that the Chiefs were able to do that is a testament to them. When you look at the other Bengals' second halves against other teams, they are limiting them to under 10 points almost every game. Yeah, 
it's a really big statement then for what the Chiefs can do, still scoring with their own halftime adjustments offensively. Now, Blue, what I mean this as no shot to you or our executive producer, Alex Fasano, but my favorite side of the weekend is the Baltimore Ravens. I loved it at two and a half. It's down to one and a half now in favor of your Steelers. I'll take Baltimore on the money line. Pittsburgh has been great. They've won two straight games, three of their last four. There is optimism certainly surrounding Kenny Pickett as the rookie quarterback moving forward. But I think that Tyler Huntley is not that large of a drop-off, at least an offensive scheme, to where Lamar Jackson is. Lamar is a better player. He is worth the points here in this move that I think if Lamar was playing, the Baltimore Ravens would be the slight favorites on the road in the Steel City. But under John Harbaugh, we'll start there. As an underdog, John Harbaugh became the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens in 2008. The Baltimore Ravens are 50, 32, and 6 against the spread. That's a 61% cover percentage. The only team better, the Pittsburgh Steelers, under Mike Tomlin in that same 15-year span. However, Tyler Huntley last year filled in for Lamar Jackson, made five starts. The Ravens were just 1-4, and four, but their four combined losses by a combined seven points. Their largest margin of defeat in overtime against the Steelers week 18 when Pittsburgh needed a win to get to the postseason, and they won by a field goal. I don't think there is that much of a drop-off. I think Tyler Huntley is one of the best backups you will find in terms of the offensive scheme for the flock. I think they go on the road, and they would cover as a two-and-a-half-point dog. Now it's just one-and-a-half, so I'll look at the Baltimore Ravens' money line. Mike Blewett, my apologies again. Well, Ben, you know, we're impartial here. Uh, obviously, no fandom is going to cloud our judgment. And um, I, I'm just going to have to disagree just based purely yeah. on statistics and facts and trends. So let's go over to my total for the week. We're going Miami and the Chargers over 26 and a half in the first half. Miami is the fourth highest scoring first half team at 14.8. The Chargers are the third highest scoring first half team at 14.9. I think that'll get us there. I think both we've seen we've seen these defenses perform at times really well, but they get hit for big plays, both defenses. I think Miami's health on the offensive line, it remains an issue, but I don't yeah. know if the Chargers are going to be able to take advantage of it in the way that the Niners did, right? So yeah. I think both of these teams could settle down. And I'm not saying that they sail over the total number, although I do like it. But I'm going to go with the first half number because I think you can both get off to good starts. And that total now for Sunday night football in L.A. is up to 52 and a half. So, Blue, it all go to oh, my yeah. favorite prop because it correlates to points, points, and points. I am now a member of Tuanon. I love Tua Tungavailoa, and he should be there in the MVP race. It was just a week ago on a Friday that Miami welcomed me to this fandom. I'm looking at Tua Tungavailoa's passing yards prop, obviously not available yet, but Tua has thrown for at least 285 yards in five consecutive games for the Finns. He is averaging 313 in that span, and over the course of the past month, the Bolts are giving up over 252 yards passing so that's trending upward from 220 which has been their season average I think Tua takes advantage quickly here Blewett I'll go to my favorite over as well a high scoring game it is Minnesota and Detroit the Lions a favorite the second highest total 51 and a half I'm just not sure how either team stops the other team we're going to go over because Minnesota allowing nearly 30 points per game in the last month and Detroit is the worst scoring defense in the National Football League quickly here Blewett finish with your prop 
Tony Pollard rushing yards over the Texans rushing yards. The last few games have given up 174, 66, 153, 191, 143, 314, and 164. I think Pollard is the guy you want to back here. Uh, just depends on what the number is. The best bets on pro football today. Again, seven for seven, seven consecutive weeks. Mike Blewett and his co-host Kevin Walsh have given out winners all Sunday long. We would have a great time on Pro Football Today. The World Cup preview up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A football Friday, live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. As we said at the very start of this show, a football Friday in many different ways. The 2022 World Cup is back in action after a few off days in Qatar. It is the opening day of the quarterfinals. Two matches today, starting in just about 20 minutes between Brazil and Croatia, going all the way through tomorrow afternoon in a heavyweight showdown between France and in England, helping us break it all down. Where those four matches are, the eight sides still remaining in Qatar. It is Action Network's Anthony DeBundo back here live on the morning after on this Football Friday. Anthony, you shared with us during the commercial break. It's been a slow couple of days, a couple of off days from the World Cup action. Now we are back in two great matches on each of these next two days that certainly will get the people hyped up once again. Yeah, from November 19th until Wednesday, we had matches every single day. And then we had two days of nothing, just kind of hyping up and getting ready for these quarterfinals, giving the players some needed off days. And now it's finally here, and we've got some really fascinating matchups, uh, and and some that are a little more lopsided than others per se, but definitely some some high-profile games. So let's start with that first match up in the quarterfinals. 10 a.m. Eastern time, just about 20 minutes away. A last-minute breakdown between the favorites in Brazil and Croatia. Brazil entered the tournament, Anthony, as the pre-World Cup favorites to win the ultimate title. That's where they stand, entering the quarters as well. And in terms of lopsided, this is the largest number in favor of one side to advance to the semifinals. Brazil is minus 650 in that market, a heavy favorite to even win in the 90-minute Bet. So we have seen Brazil now, Anthony, through the group stage into the round of 16, now on the brink of the quarterfinals. Just how good are the Brazilians playing at this moment entering the quarters? Yeah, we knew in qualifying, based on their numbers there, that their defense was going to be stellar. We knew they weren't going to be quite as possession dominant as some of the other, you know, the Spains and the Argentinas of the world who, who like to strangle you with possession. Brazil will let you have the ball, but they're so lethal in transition with their two wingers, Vinicius Jr. and Rafinha, able to, to rinse anybody up the wings. My biggest question mark with Brazil was, who was the striker? Who was the number nine? Were they going to get consistent finishing production and scoring production from that position? Because Richarlison, for club, has been up and down for the last year and a half or so. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, not known as a great finisher. They went with Richarlison, and he has delivered. He's already got three goals. Uh, we Everybody saw the stellar goal that he scored in the first match against Serbia, so... Brazil is, is clearly the best team for me right now. They have no real hole, no real flaw that, that you could point to and say this is what happens when Brazil goes out. It's probably just going to be some type of variance or or, or fluke or, or you know soccer being the way it is that they lose. But I, I really don't see it uh, before the final. 
plus 340 before the tournament for Brazil to win the 2022 World Cup, plus 165 entering the quarterfinals. Anthony, as we shared with you during the commercial break, every team that is in the quarters, all eight of the remaining, has seen their price to win the World Cup get shorter except for one, that is the Netherlands, because of the path they would have to a World Cup final. But when you look at this board right now, as we enter the quarterfinals starting today, how far would you go back on this board? What is the longest price you would bet as we get ready for the quarterfinals in Qatar? Yeah, the thing with the Netherlands is that they came into this World Cup in really good form. They had fired their manager last summer, brought in Louis van Gaal, who has an excellent history with the national team and is a good tactical manager, and they went on a great winning run. But their performances in Qatar have not been all that impressive when you look on the aggregate. They've played four matches. Yes, they've won three of them and drawn one. So in hindsight, like that's a pretty good result. But the performances underlying haven't been that impressive uh, when you consider the expected goals for and allowed. They are getting healthier now. Uh, but it would be very hard for me to see them beating Argentina, Brazil, and, say, France, Portugal, England, in order to win the World Cup. That's just a lot. And that's the the one thing with yeah. the, the chalk having held in that part of the bracket is that it's very difficult to see the path. The, the one team that I think is the most interesting that's probably had their odds come down the most is Portugal. And it, it's a combination of things. One, they get the favorable draw with Spain going out, not having to play Spain, getting to play Morocco is an advantage, even though the Morocco boys continue to surprise but yeah. the biggest difference for me is the benching of Cristiano Ronaldo and Fernando Santos' decision to bench him really opened up their attack and made them that much more lethal in transition, getting shots, Ramos getting in behind as opposed to coming short for the ball. But there's a lot of things Ramos does that are better than Ronaldo at this point in his career. And if Santos sticks with it, I think Portugal, you could, you could make a strong case to convince me that they should be favored against France or England when they play them in the semifinals, potentially. The Portuguese side has played fantastically so far in Qatar. As we look at the second quarterfinal matchup of this Friday afternoon, Anthony, it is Argentina and Netherlands. The Argentines, a slight favorite to advance as well, minus 162. It is reported that this is Lionel Messi's final World Cup. Will Messi's run in Qatar continue into the semifinals? It might, uh, but I'm taking the Dutch plus a half here. Uh, I think that I just talked about the Netherlands and how I thought they didn't really look great in the group stage. The biggest difference for me with them, though, is that Memphis, Memphis Depay didn't play really the first two matches of the group stage. He was able to come in, play an hour against Qatar, play 75 minutes against the United States. And Denzel Dumfries, who had the two assists, the two cutback crosses that led to the first two goals for the Dutch and then scored the third goal hanging around the back post, he was really poor too. He was coming off of an injury, he sustained with Inter Milan before the tournament. He wasn't 100% fit. He played really poorly the first two matches, but he was excellent and looked great the last two that he's played. So Doomfree's rounding into form, Memphis coming into form. I think that makes this Dutch attack much better. They don't need to play with the ball, which I think is a major key against Argentina. And let's not sugarcoat Argentina's performances either. They lost to the Saudi Arabia match. It was a little unfortunate, but the attack only created you know 1.2 non-penalty expected goals. They looked very flat against Mexico. They had one dominant showing against Poland where you could say, yes, this is the Argentina that we expected to see coming into this tournament. But then they went and played Australia and the first 85 minutes of that match, Argentina created 0.6 expected goals against a defense that had gotten ripped apart by France just a week ago and hadn't looked very impressive during qualifying either. So I have major question marks about this Argentina team. Where they're getting Messi on the ball is the biggest key in this match because the Dutch want him to catch, want him to come come for the ball as, as deep as possible, as far from the goal. And when Argentina's not working, 
they have to they, Messi gets forced deep and that's where he catches the, you know he takes the ball and that's not as effective for this team because they don't have enough other playmakers around the goal but the dutch did and like i said before with van hal they are very good tactically normally at adjusting on the fly to the opponent so i think they'll have a good plan for messi i took the dutch plus a half minus 130 135 laid a little bit of juice but i think this will be a very fascinating tactical battle and one that the Dutch can can potentially get into extra time at worst. I just don't see a, a big enough gap here, given Argentina being kind of up and down this tournament, too. The second match of the quarters, that is today at 2 p.m. Eastern time over in Qatar. Messi has scored three goals in this 2022 World Cup, assisted in another, involved in four of the seven for Argentina so far. He has the second best price to win the golden ball, which is the best player in the tournament. He is behind, though, Kylian Mbappe, who has been sensational for the reigning World Cup champs, Anthony, and France. How do you compare these two right now? Lionel Messi in what might be his final World Cup and Kylian Mbappe in his second of what could be a very long career, making numerous storylines for the French in this biggest tournament. Yeah, I mean, for my money, they're the two best players in the world right now. Uh, they're the two best players at this tournament for sure. Mbappe being first, Messi being second. They have a very unique profiles. Uh, Mbappe is just a freak on the wing. You give him the ball, and then he will just beat the man no matter what it takes. I mean, you just can't get tight to him. He's too fast. He's too good technically. He's too incredible at getting the ball in the penalty area. And then, I mean, we've all seen his goals at this tournament. A couple of them are, you know, far post runs where he makes an intelligent move and Griezmann plays a perfect pass, but some of them are just, <clears throat> I'm going to get on the ball, and I'm going to smash into the top corner, and your goalie has no chance. And and that's really the versatility of Mbappe, and he's the best, one of the best wide forwards I've ever seen. Messi's, like I said, a little bit different. It's been, the fact that he's had this much production is impressive, given the tactical problems that Argentina have had getting him the ball in those dangerous areas, and, and their midfield has been at times broken in this tournament, so Messi has kind of made up for it. But you saw it against our, against Australia as well, his first touch in the penalty area, Argentina's second shot of the match. It came in the, almost the 30th minute. Yet, Messi picks up the ball in the penalty area, beats one man, combines, shoots, scores, game over. You know, And it didn't end up yeah. quite being game over, but for all, that was the game-winning goal. So that's the beauty of these two guys. And, and I think it, there is, a, a, in a way, a passing of the torch, even though they're very different players. Kylian Mbappe, only 23 years old, five goals scored, assisted on two others, seven of the nine for France. Mbappe has been involved. He's a heavy minus money, minus 195 favorite to win the golden boot for the most goals scored at the 2022 World Cup. He will hope to add to that tally tomorrow in the marquee matchup of the quarters, in my opinion, Anthony. 2 p.m. Eastern time. It is France in England with a spot in the semis on the line. From the odds perspective, Anthony, it is the most competitive match expected of the four in the quarterfinals. How competitive do you think it will actually be on the pitch tomorrow in Qatar? I think it's it's surely going to be competitive. I think the most fascinating tactical angle here is how much risk are both managers willing to take in possession? Because England under Southgate and France under Champs have been much more conservative than some of their fans have liked. They don't love that they, they will sometimes, with England's case, hold a lot of possession and not do a lot with it. In France's case, let the opponent have the ball and then just try to beat them in transition. There are risks to playing both styles. England doesn't take enough chances to put guys forward, so you're at the risk of not creating enough chances to get the goals. They've gotten them in this tournament. They've finished really, really well, England, but that's not necessarily sustainable. And then the France, if you let the opponent have the ball like they kind of did against Poland, Poland was knocking on the door multiple times, crosses into the area, letting Zielinski get free outside the area. I think France runs the risk. They just let England have the ball here and then wait for transition. 
England has the playmakers, guys like Harry Kane coming short to really cause some problems here. And France in transition is so lethal. No matter what you do, no matter who you have defensively, Mbappe, Griezmann are just a lethal duo in on the move. And if Mbappe is going to stay up high up the pitch and just wait for outlets, that's going to be a very dangerous counterattack. So it, it depends on how much risk each manager is willing to take. That will kind of have a big say in this match. I actually think the, I'm favoring both offenses a little bit here. I think an early goal especially will open this match up. And I think if France scores first, that's how you get the most exciting potential match because England will be pushing forward and France will be looking to transition behind them. France, incredible front runners. England can turn on the throttle and create a lot of chances. They have excellent technical quality. So it's going to be a fascinating match. I like both teams to score. Minus 115, minus 120 out there. Uh, I'm going against the narrative that this will be a, a snoozer. I love that breakdown right there. And so many different angles of attack when it comes to betting in the World Cup. We've been showing you the 90-minute, the regulation money line prices. But for England and France to go to PKs, for that to be the way to advance to the semifinals, it's plus 460. So, Anthony, let's give some love to the netminders. The goalkeeper is still around for the eight sides left in the 2022 World Cup. As we look at where things stand in goal, what keeper for what team do you trust the most here entering the quarterfinals? It's really tough to say. I mean, Allison would be the clear answer because Brazil has the best defense, right? And that's why he's favored there in that situation. Uh, the the mm. one I would look to would probably be Costa. But again, like the Portugal defense, Portugal's playing differently this tournament too, and that they're sending their fullbacks forward more and they're they're taking a few more defensive risks. And it's really not come off well for them because they – uh, haven't played well defensively in this tournament. They've conceded at least one expected goal in every match. So I think there's there's a little bit of a question mark there with him. But uh, I would say Allison's the clear favorite there. He didn't get to play the one match, uh, which which definitely hurt his case. And then he came off against Korea. But uh, Brazil's the best defense in the tournament. And they are the best team in the tournament. So they're probably going to win. And when you look at those odds that we showed you right there, it's Morocco and Portugal in the first quarter tomorrow. Can the Moroccans keep it going? Plus 270 to advance. They were 44 to 1 before the tournament started. Actions, Anthony DeBundo. Thank you for all the breakdowns. More of the morning after up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Rounding out this opening hour of a Football Friday live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM, channel 159. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz Network, that is Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens. Thursday night football, week number 14 of the NFL season, got kicked off in a very dramatic way. The unlikely story, a Hollywood ending for Baker. Mayfield. After being cut by the Carolina Panthers earlier this week, he is signed by the LA Rams, the reigning Super Bowl champs, suffering the worst Super Bowl hangover we had seen. In the midst of a six-game losing skid, they bring in Baker, and then within about 48 hours, he's out there on the gridiron in a game, in an NFL football game, against the Las Vegas Raiders, and he leads a dramatic comeback. 98 yards, a game-winning drive, under a minute and a half to play with no timeouts. Truly an ending nobody saw coming. And the Rams are victorious 17 to 16 outright as a six and a half point underdog. So what is Baker's future now 
on his third NFL team. That's what we asked you in Fade the Public. A pretty simple question with maybe more complexity in the answers, although it's just one word that we gave you the options for. Will Baker Mayfield be on the LA Rams roster at the start of next season? It's a pretty close decision here between the public, but most of the public, nearly 53% of said public, is saying no. A pretty big response, at least based on our general fade the public polls, obviously capitalizing on the heroics of last night and theatrics of Baker Mayfield. It will be a very interesting discussion. Sean McVay loves Baker, but mentioned it's more a circumstance of the situation for the Rams and the health of their quarterback room and Matthew Stafford being sidelined for the remainder of this season. Will Baker Mayfield be in L.A. next year? It remains to be seen. And if so, what's his role? Is he a backup to Stafford? Still, that is to come. As is our number two of the morning after. Up next, live right here on Sportsbook. 